Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast bringing you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Inus. Today, we're uncovering the insurance industry's big win in Virginia, how a state house committee ended a problematic bad faith bill for the 2019 session, plus talent trends. Is your organization prepared to stay competitive in this rapidly evolving talent market? And she's looking out for you. Congresswoman Gwen Moore discusses how she will support the insurance industry in her new role on the House Ways and Means Committee. But first, a quick check on the news. The Federal Aviation Administration is looking for feedback on three newly proposed drone regulations. One of the proposed rules would permit drones to operate over people and to fly at night. It's the most beneficial to insurance companies because it enables insurers to use drones to evaluate and inspect properties, assess damage claims, and perhaps most importantly, provide better insurance services to policyholders in disaster response. NAMIC has been advocating for this rule for more than three years and has worked with the FAA and state authorities to develop safer drone operation requirements. The agency is requesting comments through April 15th. A bill attempting to expand bad faith in Virginia has died in committee. SB 1117 would have created a bad faith cause of action for uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage. This caused concern because it sought to establish bad faith actions when an insurer denies a claim or refuses what the bill refers to as a reasonable settlement offer without fully defining the term. In addition, the bill would have allowed judges to determine whether an insurer acted in good faith by determining whether an insurer knew or should have known that an uninsured or underinsured motorist was potentially liable to the insured. The bill's sponsor, Senator Chap Peterson, says the bill was designed to try to get insurance companies to offer limits automatically. What this bill would do is basically put the pressure on the insurance company. If you go ahead and make a reasonable settlement offer saying, look, you post the limits, I'll dismiss the claim. Uh, and they don't post the limits and rather hold the money and make you prove the case that you could be awarded damages, including reasonable attorney's fees and uh, the amount of the judgment itself. Again, by changing it to May, there is no sledgehammer. We give discretion to the circuit court judge, and you could also file this as a post-trial motion. Um, You'll hear two arguments against this bill, uh, which I've been hearing all along. One is that the damages could go beyond the policy limits. And and that is true. And in certain situations, the damages could go beyond the policy limits. But the problem is, unless you have some type of incentive for the insurance company to actually put the money up, uh, there's just no reason for them to pay the claim early. So that that's how I'd respond to that. And secondly, I'd say that that's that's a this, this is going to be a fairly uh, and hopefully uh, uh, infrequent claim. But but that's one argument you'll hear against it. The other one is the one you'll hear, well, it will cause premiums to rise. <laughs> well, you know, paying claims causes premiums to rise. NAMIC's Assistant Vice President of State Affairs, Aaron Collins, says that forcing insurance companies to automatically offer limits by scaring them with a bad faith bill interferes with the claims process. And the reason we have a claims process is to ascertain what the value of the claim is and to make sure it's a legitimate claim as well. So, you know, you can envision where something like this, because the threat of litigation and by, again, the sponsor's own admission, litigation that could extend or that could create damages in excess of the limits of the policy, 
uh, it would put pressure on the insurance companies to bypass their claims process as well as even their fraud detection process. So, you know, this ultimately drives up costs for Virginia consumers in lots of ways, not just, um, you know, the impact to their premium, but, you know, the, the upward pressure to premium because overall fraud uh, is going up in the state of Virginia uh, because we don't have the opportunity to really investigate uh, claims. And on top of that, you know, one of the things we fought so hard for at NAMIC is to make the point that this is really uh, or really was a solution in search of a problem. It's not necessary. There's already this very robust and full system to address uh, the concept of bad faith through the Bureau of Insurance. Ultimately, there were only two complaints uh, of this nature to the Bureau of Insurance since 2007, and since the beginning of 2017, and both of them uh, were were found to be unfounded, uh, that they were not in violation of bad faith. So this really isn't, uh, you know, this, this narrative that the sponsor is pushing that there are these companies out there that are acting in bad faith is, is really an error. NAMIC is thankful to its members for their participation in this grassroots advocacy effort to combat this measure. Less than three weeks after the longest government shutdown in U.S. history, lawmakers reached a deal to prevent it from happening again. However, when this deal did not include money for a border wall, President Donald Trump declared a national emergency to get it funded. In a social media post, Democratic U.S. Representative Gwen Moore called Trump's emergency declaration grounds for impeachment. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamnus talks with Moore, who has been a strong supporter of the insurance industry, about a host of topics, including her new role on the House Ways and Means Committee. Well, thank you so much, Congresswoman, for joining us. I haven't seen you since our board meeting back last summer, but I really appreciate the 10 minutes or 15 minutes today. Hey, well, it's definitely my pleasure to be here. And, of course, you, are, you guys are uh, the greatest uh, stewards of risk sharing and really looking out for families uh, that we have. And I appreciate you. Well, thank you. Let me tell our listeners just a little bit more about you. You're in your eighth term in the House. You're the first African-American to be elected from, well, to the House from Wisconsin, I believe. You served in the state legislature. You've been, you know a lot about our industry from that service. And uh, of course, you know, in your career in Congress, you've been a great supporter of our mutual property casualty insurance companies. There are so many great companies in Wisconsin. Uh, back in Dodd-Frank, you helped uh, make sure state insurance regulations stayed at the state level uh, when it was in question back then. So thank you for that. But I guess I'd start, first question uh, would be, how do you come to this uh, understanding and support of our industry? What, what, what triggered it for you as a policymaker? Well, I think it was extremely helpful for me to have been a member of the state legislature and state senate in particular. Uh, and I witnessed up front uh, what a fantastic job Wisconsin and the Wisconsin insurance industry did. I mean, they were always whole. There was never any scandal with regard to their making payouts to premium holders. And I saw how well, and you know, in the midst of so much chaos, the insurance industry distinguished, distinguished itself uh, as really remaining whole. Um, and so that was sort of my um, introduction to the efficacy of having a strong insurance industry. And of course, once I got to Congress, 
and we started considering Dodd-Frank. Uh, and there's, you know, this sort of idle conversation about federalizing insurance uh, products, insurance regulation came about. It was almost an instinct based on my experience in Wisconsin that, you know, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and regulators have done a fantastic job, and I'm an ardent supporter of keeping that regulation where it is. Well, and speaking of, you know, Dodd-Frank, I think about uh, then-Chairman Barney Frank and meeting with Barney after uh, he had just taken the gavel and, and, he, and we were talking about federal regulation and issues. He's like, hey, stop. You don't have to tell me about that. I served in the Massachusetts legislature, like you, had that valuable background. And he's like, I, the last thing we want to do is bring auto insurance issues to Congress and to some federal regulator. I know it belongs in the states. And so I think you reinforce that's just great training in terms of understanding you know, how that local oversight with states making their own decisions works well for our industry, and uh, appreciate you bringing that leadership to Washington. Now, in Washington, um, we got a little good news, bad news going in this Congress, because for us, I guess the good news for you is you're joining the Ways and Means Committee, um, which is a great, you know, and an honor uh, to be assigned to that committee. The bad news for us is you leave financial services. Um, so I thought maybe given that you're off financial services now, you could kind of reflect a little on, on, um, what service on that committee was like, and maybe even project out into, you know, what the committee looks like, um, you know, in this Congress, even in your absence. Well, listen, thank you for, for that. I, I can tell you that, um, even before I knew that I'd be appointed to the Ways and Means Committee, um, I was hearing from insurers, uh, in particular, I was hearing from this itsy-bitsy company in my district called Northwestern Mutual. Yeah, it's um, a little company uh, about the anxiety they felt about the tax bill uh, and the, um, it, it just the, uh, the, it, just how that tax bill harmed their premium holders and savers. And so immediately my ears were perked about the tax considerations for in the insurance industry under ways and means. So even though I'm leaving financial services, uh, there's a nexus uh, of tax considerations uh, for insurance companies. And I know that the insurance industry is terrified always about uh, there being some sort of grab uh, after the premium um, ownership, I guess, of your of your members, and uh, looking at that as a source of revenue uh, and treating it differently. So I can tell you that uh, I want you all to feel encouraged that by having me on the Ways and Means Committee, that I'll be looking out for you. Uh, I I got my first MBA. Uh, sitting on the Financial Services Committee. Uh, and so I'm going to get the second uh, MBA on Ways and Means Committee. And uh, insurance runs straight through both of my MBAs. Well, and not only MBAs, but while on Financial Services, uh, you got the NAMIC Federal Legislator of the Year Award, and there's nothing b- bigger than that, really, in Washington. So I'm, I'm looking at Ben right now. Oh, he's <laughs> a beautiful Ben. You got the very best one, the platinum silver one, the highest Ben. But, you got uh, that right. Well, speaking of ways and means, and even besides, and you 
tell us. And of course, I say in part in jest that uh, you know Ways and Means is not financial services, but the tax policy is tremendously important to us. But same with trade. I mean, they have a lot of jurisdiction over trade, and I know even now we have this auto tariffs issue that's uh, percolating. And you know, when you look at our industry insuring. You know, two hundred and some billion dollars in in personal and commercial auto insurance. Uh, the cost of autos, auto parts, um, and these tariffs will certainly impact insurance costs. So I just wonder if you've started yet following the auto tariffs issue. Had any thoughts about that? Well, uh, listen, I can tell you that uh, what a great interim education for me during the Christmas holiday, uh, watching how these trade wars and tariffs, uh, the impact that they have had on people, even people in my state and in my district. I mean, as you know, um, Harley-Davidson is in my district. Uh, As you know, cranberries are grown in Wisconsin. uh, And just the, the plight of farmers. I mean, you don't have to drive very far. From my house in Milwaukee before you you reach some farmland and so this is a huge learning curve for me but let me tell you I have been paying attention uh, to trade policy I'm not on the subcommittee but a lot of these issues are going to come up in the full committee uh, and I can I can tell you that I'm going to spend time leaning into uh, the importance of having balanced trade policies uh, and looking at the impact of, of tariffs uh, on my constituents, because I have seen already the havoc that it's wreaked uh, on my constituents. Well, we appreciate that, and I know you'll also uh, understand the particular impact on on auto insurance. Uh, you know, as prices may go up with with tariffs, but changing gears a little, you know, we look at uh, this new Congress and Democratic control of the House. Less than half of the Democrats in the House today have ever served in the majority before, uh, but you're one of them. So I wonder, you know, when you look at the previous majority you served in and, and compare it to where we are today, what do you think will be different about this new Democratic majority, or, or do you think it'll be similar to you know what you experienced, what, um, six, eight years ago? Well, I think we have 40 new members, uh, and I think that uh, you know, I am feeling really, really excited about the youth and about the new energy. And I think members are going to learn pretty fast. Um, I think that most of them have leaned into the experienced leadership of Pelosi. Uh, and uh, many of them are reconsidering their stance that they should have voted against her or, or should have spoken out against her speakership uh, prior to getting here. Because now that they have come, they see not only how powerful she is, but how fair she is. I mean, most of the freshmen I've talked to uh, have gotten the committee assignments that they've wanted. Um, uh, Pelosi is uh, really accessible to them. All of us uh, as seniors uh, in the majority are really coming up to offer uh, help to them because we want them to become the great leaders that we know they have the potential to be. Uh, we are really committed to raising up uh, the the younger people in our caucus, and I think you know we've seen that with uh, Ben Ray Lujan, Hakeem Jeffries, just to name a couple of people. And uh, and and um, we've also worked hard on making sure that there are women in leadership positions. I mean, people like Catherine Clark, 
uh, people like Sherry Bustos. And so we're going to embrace uh, the diversity, you know, and just to sort of quote Nancy Pelosi, uh, we're very, very uh, different and diverse um, uh, in our caucus, but we're all bound together by our values, our values, looking out for the other guy, uh, trying to make sure that uh, that everybody has a fair shot. Uh, and, and, you know, how that relates to the insurance industry, for me, uh, it, again, you guys are helping us manage risk. And, um, you know, I know all of you are not involved in healthcare insurance, but just as an example, uh, we really, really want to work very closely with the insurance um, industry with regard to healthcare to make sure that there is the kind of risk sharing that can make it possible for us to cover as many people as possible. Uh, and so we appreciate you all being at the table. Well, maybe I could just uh, close then with uh, last question. Um, you know, as you look at all these 40 new Democrats uh, coming into the House and the, the new Democratic leadership, what, do you, what advice would you give them, um, you know, starting out in Washington? Well, I'll tell you, um, I, I think that it's extremely important for uh, new members to really sort of choose a passion that they care about and not just uh, be all over the place and to really try to pin down an issue or two that they really want to work on because you can get very distracted. But I also want to, 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 to have them recognize the importance of using you guys, you lobbyists, as a source of information as sort of adjunct staff, as people who can provide them with a tremendous amount of education and not have a biased, prejudiced view. Um, you know, the people who work for us here in Congress work very, very hard, uh, and our ability to gather information is limited. Um, so you, you'd be surprised how much we can learn uh, from people, even when we don't agree with them. They can provide us with valuable information. And so I'm going to encourage them to learn all they can from everybody. Well, if they follow your lead, they will. And uh, again, thank you for the time today. Thanks for your leadership in Congress. And good luck on the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, we'll be in touch even as you're there. All right. Well, you know, where there are ways, there are means. And I'll be there. There are. <laughs> thank you very much. With the rise of innovation, the added emphasis on corporate culture and a push for inclusivity, insurers are forced to adapt at a rapidly evolving talent market. The Jacobson Group recently published its 2019 Talent Trends Guide to help insurers develop strategies for recruitment and retention. The firm's managing partner, Margaret Milkent, says one trend is future dependency on employee proficiency in soft skills. Well, I will tell you, I think that we're seeing a spotlight on the soft skills or the human skills like never before. So I've always said that those human skills are differentiators, and now we see this spotlight. There has been so much media attention on this, and I have to say I love it because we've been really advocating for people to develop Yes, develop your technical platform. It's very, very important. But give the same time and care to 
your platform of human skills and using those human skills as a differentiator and as a way to accelerate your career. You know, the demand for people who know how to collaborate and influence and who can show empathy. We're seeing a lot around storytelling. Those people who can tell a compelling story. Adults learn through stories. It makes it fun. It makes it interesting. We remember stories. So being able to be that person to tell a great story and to give a great example is is a gift and it is a differentiator in the market. And there's always a place for curiosity, positivity, creativity, more than ever before, you know, in this rise of innovation, transformation, and modernization. So I think it's, uh, I think it's time. I like to see this balance, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. The 2019 Talent Trends Guide focuses on the top nine trends the insurance industry could see this year. The Jacobson Group's full report is available online. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you'll keep tuning in as we return with more insurance news and information on March 6th. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a terrific day.